Greetings. Let us stand and begin our worship with a call to worship from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll read responsibly. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Cry out, save us, God our Savior. That we may give thanks to your holy name. Praise be to the Lord of God, the Lord God of Israel. Then all the people said, This is the word of the Lord. Let us continue to raise our voices before the Lord by singing together from all that dwell below the skies.
You may be seated. Greetings and welcome in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to all those who are joining us here this morning in person, for all those who are watching online, and for those who may be watching the video later this week. Special greetings to Pastor Bill and Mary Lynn who are en route um, to visit with family on the beach in South Carolina. If you're listening online, Bill, good morning. Um, after the service this morning, we will have um, coffee and refreshments in the um, library area out to stage left, which would be your right. And as I mentioned, Pastor Bill is on vacation and he is with family in South Carolina. I'm Darwin Glassford, the executive pastor here this morning. And we're privileged to have um, our message brought to us um, by Luke Joyce this morning, um, who is our deacon for social justice and reconciliation and has also been involved in um, missionary work in Honduras. We'll also have a couple of testimonies this morning, so there'll be a lot of movement up here. Okay, so if you think it looks like bobbleheads, there's a lot of movement. It probably is. Okay, um, some announcements. Um, here we go. Um, we have a fundraising auction for stuff that has been left here sometimes, um, for stuff we've accumulated. If you happen to need a pew for your home, um, a cabinet for your garage, a planter, though I think all the planters may be gone, or a tricycle. Um, they are up for auction. They are over in the um, barn behind um, the anchor building. You may wander over there after the service if you like, and I believe there are ice, there's ice cream refreshments if you happen to wander over there. So if you are one of those few people who believe that ice cream is good for breakfast, um, you should wander over there. Um, next Sunday, we will be um, worshiping together with the Watershed and Fusion Communities at 10 a.m. We will gather in the pavilion um, outside if it's not raining um, for a joint worship service at 10 o'clock. Um, feel free to bring your lawn chairs or whatever you want to bring, um, your big thermal mug of coffee. If you want to bring breakfast in a cooler, you can do that um, and, and join us over there. We'll have refreshments afterwards as well. And the volunteer appreciation picnic, I think, is there Sunday, May 28th afterwards. So here we go. How many are going to be here? Okay, I'll be looking for you. Okay. One of the beauties of um, being part of the Church of Jesus Christ is that we share a common faith with many other Christians um, around the world. In our tradition, um, in the kind of Reformed Presbyterian tradition, we have um, catechisms, and catechisms were essentially documents that were used to instruct. They posed a question and then an answer. And some of you who are um, of the, um, how should I say, older age group, um, can remember that a part of children's education was actually memorizing the catechism. And before you could join the church, I'm not trying to scare the young people here, um, before you could join the church, you would actually have to meet with the council or the consistory, and they would fire questions from the catechism at you, and you had to give a rock-solid perfect response. Anyone remember those days? Okay, so um, we're gonna have some, we could have some fun here. I could just ask a question, and you all could just give us the response that you remember. No, but a confession, the catechism was a way of passing on the faith, um, teaching what we believe as Christians. So let us um, respond to Heidelberg Catechism as a community to question number 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit?
Well done. Well done. Now, let us unite our hearts together in singing Spirit of the Living God. Let us stand. Seated. I'd like to invite um, Brent Van Til um, forward now, and Brent is going to share with us a little bit about his work in Honduras. Welcome, Brent. Good morning. I'll put this up just a bit. I want to thank Darwin, Luke, for sharing the day with us, and um, also Pastor Bill, um, who hopefully is on vacation and, and not necessarily watching, um, but he may be online listening. So um, I want to thank him as well for uh, inviting me to come and, and talk a little bit about um, what I've been doing in, in Honduras. Um, so I, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Brent Van Til, and um, I'm a member here at Celebration and have been for, for a while, um, along with my wife, who's also been a longtime member. Um, but in addition to that, I'm a foot and ankle uh, surgeon here in, in Holland in Zealand area and uh, have been practicing for, I would say, the last 12, 12 years now. Time, time does fly. And so um, I had an opportunity to go to Honduras back in 2019. Um, a friend of mine, actually a childhood friend of mine, um, who is an orthopedic surgeon in South Bend, Indiana, um, he um, had gone under the Luke Society to this uh, mission in, uh, in Honduras. It's Gracias Honduras. And he um, invited me to come along with him on his, his next trip. Um, and there was two, two operating rooms, so you know, he, had, he had one and I had the other. And, and so, um, 
So he introduced me to Honduras, and uh, I accepted. I have a little bit of an adventuresome spirit and obviously some unique skills. So I decided after, after praying about it that it was a good idea, a good opportunity to, to go and, and do something, something else. Um, so ever since 2019, I've been going um, about, well, once a year, um, with, with the exception of, of the COVID, COVID year. Um, we've been going down to, to Gracias, uh, Limpera, Honduras um, to, to do some surgery, some, some medical missions. Um, and this is a distinctly Christian organization. It's not just a humanitarian effort. Um, even though we're doing a lot of humanitarian work, it's also um, um, this organization was started by, by Christians, and it's a distinctly, um, uh, it's a distinct ministry as well. Um, and, and so it's a very established mission. Um, uh, Luke and Stephanie will probably um, elaborate a little bit more about um, where we go and, and kind of the um, organizational structure of it all. But um, I just want to kind of tell you a little bit about, about my week. So we, there's been several trips that have gone um, in the past, so it's a fairly well-established uh, pattern. We travel on Saturdays, from Saturday to Saturday, um, and uh, we usually fly out of South Bend or Chicago or, or Grand Rapids, and uh, we, we go to Atlanta. There's only a few flights a day to San Pedro Sula, and that's where we fly into. We fly into San Pedro Sula, Honduras, and then we take about a four-hour four trip um, by van um, to uh, Gracias. And Gracias is located on the western aspect of Honduras, I would say 45 minutes or so from the Guatemala border. And um, like I said, it's, it's established. And so um, a previous orthopedic surgeon years ago had been going down there, and he um, fell in love with it, of course, and uh, has gone very, very regularly. So he ended up building um, a second home down there, essentially, uh, with the idea of having groups come down um, to join him for, uh, or teams to come down and join him for, um, you know, four weeks at a time. So he built a 11-bedroom house, some, something like that, eight, eight, eight to 11, somewhere in there, um, bedroom house. Um, and uh, so we have some, some relatively modern accommodations. So we're not exactly roughing it as much as you may expect in, in a country like Honduras. Um, but um, but we, we get settled in on Saturday. Um, Sunday is the big day. That's the town of, of Gracias. Um, and I had a few pictures uh, put up of, of just some things we did that, uh, that week. But I'll, I'll get to that. Um, Sunday's a big day. We end up, uh, as physicians, organizing our day. We, uh, this, this year, saw 40 patients, um, each of us, um, my friend uh, um, and I, each saw about 40 patients. Um, very busy day on Sunday. Um, and, and so we triage people, and we see who we can help and who we can't help, um, and we get our schedules ready for, um, for the week. And then um, Monday through Thursday, we, we typically operate, um, and it's just a, a huge blessing to be able to, to do that, um, especially given the fact that I, I go with a friend of mine who um, we've been you know, friends for many years. We studied together. We've obviously gone our own, gone our own ways with, uh, with our families and our practices, but it's just been a tremendous opportunity to be able to connect with him again and do it in a place uh, uh, you know, like, like Honduras where, where we can help others and, um, and, and, and lead a team, essentially, um, uh, who are maybe going on their first trip you know, ever um, you know, for, for short-term missions. So, so it's just a tremendous blessing to be able to do that. Um, we 
double scrub some of our cases, so we actually operate together sometimes on challenging cases. And we try to balance the week between some, some challenging things and some, some simpler things so we can, on the one hand, you know, minister to, to several people, and on the other hand, take on some more complex things. Um, so so it's, a, it's a dance, a tricky, tricky thing we do on Sunday. Um, so that is our, for me, the, the hardest day. Um, and, and we have to obviously get the team ready to go on, on Sunday. And typically on Sunday night, we end up uh, worshiping with them out there um, at their local church. Um, there's several pastors that uh, are part of the clinic. Um, out there, the pastors um, are also kind of the clinic directors, and, and they have various roles. And so, um, so sometimes we're able to, if, if we get our work done on time, we can go to their church in the evening, which is, is really uh, kind of unique to be able to worship with them um, locally in Spanish um, in, in Honduras. Um, so the week ends on Friday. We typically will take the group um, for a little bit of sightseeing, um, and that's what you saw up there. We had a, a picture of the, the town of Gracias right there. Um, there's, there's a mountain, um, uh, Salake, which is uh, one of the highest peaks in Central America that we can hike up. Um, we can do some zip lining, which is uh, fun. We've done that before, and, and we, there's some hot springs. Um, so we do some fun things on the last day um, because we do work pretty hard, um, but, uh, and then we fly back on, on Saturday. So, um, so it, is, it is work, but, but obviously, um, you know, we get to, you know, treat take care of you know, kids like this that, that typically won't have opportunities um, otherwise. You can see that uh, particular baby has an extra digit that we were able to remove. Um, obviously, if, if, that, uh, if, if she lives with that um, you know, extra toe, she won't fit in shoes very well and, and things can be difficult. So um, the fact that she was able to get in and, and we could remove that, that extra toe, um, it's gonna, gonna help her the rest of her life. And, and so that is really, uh, really a blessing to be able to do. That's a picture, uh, I didn't wanna put any, you know, anything too graphic or, or gory up um, for you all today, but that's a picture of a bone tumor, of course, in the heel that we were able to, to treat while we were out there. Um, my colleague is an orthopedic surgeon, but also has some experience or, or has a specialty in, in bone tumors, so we were able to, to treat that. This is a little girl that I uh, obviously got my picture with. Um, she stepped on a, um, a foreign, foreign body uh, that punctured her heel, and um, she had been living with an infection and a sinus tract uh, going to the bone for about two years. She's 11 years old, and uh, so she had a, a terrible infection that was destroying her heel bone. Um, so we were able to, to treat it not only with antibiotics but surgically and uh, remove a lot of the, um, of the infection from her bone. Um, it was a unique experience because in, in the United States, obviously, it doesn't escalate typically to that, that point where, where the infection is just eating away at the bone. Um, so it was a real blessing to, to treat her um, because she, uh, she has done well. Um, we, we did uh, remove some of the infection, we removed some of her heel bone, and we were able to, to sew her up, and, and uh, she's healing. Uh, I, I actually have an um, orthopedic surgeon that's out there that we've gotten to know over the years, and he's able to kind of send me pictures, and I have some follow-up on her, and she's healing. So uh, that, that's an answer to prayer. Um, so that's just kind of a glimpse of what we do out there. Um, it, uh, again, it, it's... it's um, it is, it's, it's nice to be able to go, um, and if you have a little bit of um, adventure in you and uh, a feel a calling and have some skills, um, it, it's, it's a blessing to be able to go, 
go do that. And everybody can. Our group is about half medical and half not medical. There's always something to do for everybody. Um, and we, we find something for people that aren't medical too, like fixing the lights or, you know, helping with the generator or the autoclave or, or whatever. So, and we even need people to, to be um, uh, spiritual leaders on the trip. And so we always have somebody that goes and, and, and does a lot of ministering and, and praying. And um, uh, so we need those people as well. So even if, if you feel you don't have skills, uh, there's always room, room for you. So, um, so I want to thank everybody for their encouragement and prayers. Um, I know Bill mentioned that I was going um, prior to my trip, and, and it was a successful trip. So, uh, so I thank you. There. Yep. I'd like now to invite um, Ruth Komposik, um forward, and she is um, one of our young people who will be traveling to Spain this summer. Ruth, welcome. Hi, I am uh, Ruth Lumjimpasik, and I am a senior this year. Um, and this summer, I'm going to Spain, actually, to southern Spain, um, to a town called uh, Chiclana. Um, and uh, I'm going, as well as uh, another girl, Aaliyah, from Watershed, and um, a bunch of other students from Friendship Church in Byron Center. Um, and what we're going to be doing there is a lot of um, work ministering to the children there because um, that area of southern Spain is not a highly Christian area and um, there are a lot of laws and other regulations that make it hard to preach the gospel um, in a regular way. So um, we have, Friendship Church has partnered with um, a family that does home churches there and um, through that, we're going to kind of reach out to children in the area through um, VBS-type activities and inviting members from the community um, into that home church through those activities. Um, so that's a little bit of what's going to be happening there this summer. And um, we hope it will be a good trip. Um, it's happened in the past. We've done it in the past. And it's um, usually been very good in the relationship with that church family there has been very strong. So, thank you. Exciting stories. Well, I look forward to hearing um, the stories from Ruth when she returns from Spain, um, along with the Leah Visser um, this summer um, from over in Watershed. So it should be an exciting time. Let's, um, let's just take a few moments now and unite our hearts in prayer. <clears throat> Gracious Father, we come before you as your people, people who are welcome into your presence because of the work of Jesus Christ. And as we come into your presence, we pray that your spirit will fill our hearts and minds with an overwhelming um, wonder um, and overwhelming desire to continue to love and to serve you. Even this morning, Lord, we've, we've heard testimony from, from Brent as he speaks about his work in Honduras. We hear how you are at work through the life of Ruth as she and Aaliyah prepare to go to Spain. And we give thanks that the gospel, as it dwells among us, doesn't just stay here, but our people take it out to the ends of the earth and to other parts of our community that we may not even be aware of. 
and we are so thankful for that. We're thankful that as we gather for our community, our brothers and sisters will be gathering across the hall and watershed, and um, I'm sorry, infusion in a little bit. And we pray that you would be with J.B. as he opens the word there. We pray also that you would be with the watershed community as they gather for worship today and Drew brings the message to them. We pray that as we unite together next Sunday as a worshiping community across campus outside, that there'll be great joy and fellowship as we talk, as we share, as we greet and pray for one another. We also pray for Pastor Florencio and for the Mission community that meets in this space this afternoon. And in all these worship services, Lord, we trust that you are glorified, that your spirit is at work transforming us into the image of Christ. We pray for this community as well this morning, Lord. You know the medical issues that people are wrestling with. You know the mental health issues that people are wrestling with. You know where people are wrestling spiritually. You know the questions they have. You know the doubts that they may face. We pray that as a community that we might come around each other, that we might bear one another's burdens, that we might share one another's doubts and hopes, that we might walk with each other, not in judgment, but in love, listening well, allowing your spirit to work, and bringing the words of the scriptures to bear on the situation. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray that we might be a stronger, we pray that we might be a more faithful community. And may your spirit always remind us that there is nothing more that we can do to earn your love. And that there is nothing that we can do that will cause you to love us less. But in Christ, we are secure. And it is Christ, your son, who taught us to pray these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. This morning, our children's message is brought to us by Stephanie Joyce. And so I invite Stephanie and all the children to skip forward now. story from the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's called The Terrible Lie. Adam and Eve lose everything from Genesis 3. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home, and everything was perfect for a while, until the day when everything went wrong. God had a horrible enemy. His name was Satan. Satan had once been the most beautiful angel but he didn't want to be just an angel. He wanted to be God. He grew proud and evil and full of hate, and God had to send him out of heaven. Satan was seething with anger and looking for a way to hurt God. He wanted to stop God's plan, stop this love story right there. So he disguised himself as a snake and waited in the garden. 
Now, God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on that tree, God told them. Because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me, and then death and sadness and tears will come. You see, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him, and they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him, and life without him wouldn't be life at all. As soon as the snake saw this chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you, perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into his ear and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too, and a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to everyone of God's children, God doesn't love you. And it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. A dove flew from Adam's hand. A deer darted in a thicket. It was as if they were frightened by something. A chill was in the air. Something strange was happening. They had always been naked, but now they felt naked and wrong, and they didn't want anyone to see them, so they hid. Later that evening, as God was taking his walk, he called to them, children. Usually Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice and would run to him, but this time they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you, God called, hiding, Adam said. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? God asked them. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done? God asked. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And a terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken the one rule, they had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him, and now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would, be, would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain, not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them and then sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would all be over, and that would have been the end, but not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. 
Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. All right. We're going to say a prayer, okay? Lord God, thank you for each and every one of these kids here today. I pray for you to bless each of them as they go off to their Sunday school and learn more about you. And we thank you so much for the love that you have for us. Despite the sins that we deal with each day, you are with us and you are there to protect us. In your name I pray, amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. I walked in here this morning. I've been over here several times in this building, in the sanctuary before, but I walked in this morning. I'm just like, this is a real church. I mean, Watershed's a real church too, uh, but then the organ starts going and the people start singing. I'm like, this is a real church. So thank you um, for having us. And thank you to um, Ruth for sharing. That's super exciting. And um, I look forward to staying tuned to that. And thank you to Brent for sharing. Um, except for the part about telling people that we're not roughing it. I don't think you were supposed to share that information. Um, but it is. It's a, it's a nice place. It's a nice trip. Um, and thank you all for, for having me. As Darwin said, I'm Luke Joyce. My wife Stephanie just read from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And um, we have a few stories that I get to share with you today. And I'm sure if we had more time to listen to other people in this room, I'm sure it's a room full of stories of God showing up and God loving us. Um, because God is alive and active in every one of our daily lives. And um, sitting with uh, Stephanie is my son, Sam. And Evie just went off to, our daughter Evie just went off to class. Um, I have a picture of them from our time in Honduras because uh, together we've been going to Watershed for about 10 years, maybe a little more. And we had the opportunity from 2017 to 2019 to live in Gracias, Honduras. Um, I worked as a high school science teacher during that time for Abundant Life Christian Schools. Um, so that's where Jake and Rachel Campan, Harderwike supported missionaries, uh, work, and Jake being um, Norlin Campan's son, our uh, facilities administrator. So they're 
partly to blame for us getting involved with this in the first place. Uh, but Jake and his wife, Rachel, are still there. They're in charge of all the North American staff at that school, and they do a lot. Um, you can go to the next slide. There's photo evidence that I was a teacher in Honduras right there. Um, and yeah, the, the kids are amazing. Um, still in contact with, with several of them, and it's a blessing. Uh, and then Stephanie is a nurse, and she worked for Clinica San Lucas Gracias while we were there, um, the same clinic that Brent just shared about. And in addition to having these incredible teams that go down, they also work year-round with a Honduran staff. Uh, Stephanie worked with them and got to help support teams like Brent's when they came down, and it is just, it's amazing seeing a mission trip happen from the other side. Just, you see students and families waiting for the surgeons to come, and then you see the impact it makes after they leave. It, uh, there's nothing like it. And Stephanie and I are going to continue taking teams there for as long as we can. Uh, every February, which it's I think you know it's cold here. It's warm there in February, if you ever want to go. And there's other teams that go at different times in the year, too. There's probably 8 to 12 weeks a year when surgeons are operating. Surgeons from the states are visiting and operating. Um, and actually, I want to show you a short video of, from our trip in 2022. big part of our life. My husband and I have enjoyed bringing brigades here and helping to support the clinic. We believe in the mission so much, treating people with respect and kindness and in a, with the Christian values. So that's what we love. And we have found that we love Honduran people and their spirit and their kindness and compassion and support. So these are usually the two best weeks of our life because it reorients how we live and think and it grounds us for how we live up in the States. Eh, voy muy alegre, muy agradecida con Dios porque ya no voy a tener estas pelotas en mi en mi estómago y ya voy a poder estar bien y, porque casi todo lo que comía me hacía daño entonces yo agradezco y lo voy a llevar en mis oraciones a todos a todos los que he visto acá y, y sí muy agradecida con mi Dios primero porque Él es el que hace la obra Él es el que los usa para que nosotros verdad podamos recibir atención I meant to warn you about the gallstones. Uh, it, that's not a big deal for these medical people, but it's shocking for the rest of us. So um, we're going to be involved with that clinic for the f foreseeable future. Um, today, I want to dig into the story of how we got here. And as I was preparing this message, uh, I think God kept saying, tell the love story. It's a, it's a love story. Tell the love story. And I thought, that sounds weird, God. I think you're confused about that. Um, but that's what I want to share this morning. When I was talking to Pastor Bill 
um, I told him about the time that I heard Stephanie read that same story to a group of girls in Honduras. And I, un I understood it for the first time. Um, I, so I was the one who brought up the Jesus Storybook Bible first. I know Bill brings it up a lot around here, but it was me. So I think that's a sign of the Spirit moving. Um, because before we moved to Honduras, we went with the Harderwijk team that goes to the school each June um, with Norlin and Jake. They're getting ready to go again this year, right now. Um, but we went with them in 2016. And Stephanie read that same story to some girls. And I happened to be listening. And, and this paragraph here is, is what came to life for me. You see, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him. And they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was, so, there was no such thing as happiness without him. And life without him wouldn't be life at all. So that's our central biblical text for today. Um, and it may be a message written for children, but it is not a childish message. It's, it's central to our existence. Um, and God used it to get to me as, as part of his love story to me. If you read the creation story in the Jesus Storybook Bible just before this one, it ends with, and so it was that the wonderful love story began. And Pastor Bill um, reminded me of that. And I said, okay, that's the spirit moving and I, I, I'll tell the love story. Because I believe we all have love stories that God is active in authoring as we walk through each day. And while I would love for all of you to come to Honduras with me someday, that might be unrealistic. And while God used Honduras to get to me, I have no idea what he's gonna use to get to you and has used to get to you. Um, I just wanna encourage you to dig deeper into whatever love story he has for you. So I wanna tell you just a little bit more of our history with Honduras and with Harderwijk, um, and then tell you three stories of our experiences that explore the idea of mission and how it all comes back to this love story. So it has been my experience in any mission work that I've been called to that um, God didn't need me to accomplish some task, right? He's not sitting in heaven bewildered about how to get something done and then sees me and says, oh, that's the solution. That's not how it works. I think the deeper truth is that God used Honduras and many other things to get to me, to get to my heart. And he's really pursuing me in his grace by placing me in difficult situations like that so I'd recognize my need for him and my helplessness without him and my dependence upon him, really the dependence that I was created for, right? The relationship with God that I was created for. And that's, uh, as I tell the story, this, my story this morning, don't miss, miss the fact that that's going to be your story too. You were created for dependence on God. You were created for relationship with your heavenly father. Because just like the Jesus Storybook Bible said, life without him wouldn't be life at all. Um, so when we first started going to Hardaway about 10 years ago, I saw that they did this mission trip to Honduras every year and I'm like, oh no, Stephanie's going to drag me down to Honduras. Because uh, she did a semester abroad through Calvin to Honduras in, in 2003 before we met. So I know God's been crafting this love story for a long time. 
Um, her professors at Calvin are actually the co-founders of ASJ, which is an incredible organization that does all sorts of good stuff in Honduras that um, I won't even start to go into today. Maybe we could have them here someday to tell their story. Um, <clears throat> so Stephanie and I express our interest in the Harderwijk trip um, to Dee Stahl, our missions director, and she asks what if she and Norlin stopped by our house to talk about it. And I'm like, well, great, now I have to go. They're coming over to my house. Um, and I was really resistant because it was actually a big deal for me. I hadn't really been out of the country before. Uh, but we went on that trip, and during that time, uh, God spoke to us and called us to move there for a time. Um, and it was great. It was great because of the Honduran people. It was great because of the mountains. It was great because of the warm weather. But it was mostly great because of the way God explained his love to us through that experience as we trusted him or didn't trust him. Um, because the first story I want to tell is how I tried to do it on my own for a couple months um, when we first got there. Trying to set up a house, everything you need for a family, getting a car. Uh, I couldn't do anything on my own because everything needed to be translated. So I didn't know Spanish while well. I taught in English. So it was a shock from my independence that I was so used to here. And I remember staring at a stack of books on the floor. I still have a picture on my phone somewhere and it's kind of traumatic when I see it because I'm looking at these six textbooks that I'm supposed to teach and I'm like, I don't know half the stuff in these books and I don't know how to teach. Um, any teachers in this room or any retired educators? All right. Okay, so can we applaud them, please? It's probably the most rewarding job I've ever had and also the most difficult. And I found out, I didn't even know what to be worried about. I found out I didn't know anything about classroom management. It was a whole other ballgame. So finally, a couple months in, I'd say, uh, when I realized my utter helplessness, um, I realized I needed to return to the fundamentals of Christianity, which was reading my Bible and praying each day. I was, I was missing that, because up until that point, I'd basically said, thank you, God, for getting me to Honduras. I'll take it from here. And that doesn't go well. So I really did return to simple disciplines, and I also returned to... Um, I ask, I prayed at the beginning of every class because anytime you walk into a room full of 30 Honduran high schoolers, you're going to want God in the room every single time. So, um, what I was beginning to sense was that God wasn't using Luke to get to Honduras. God's using Honduras to get to Luke. And I let him start doing that. He was guiding me in his grace to discover the true nature of why he created me, which was for relationship with him. Um, so the second story is about when I was on the dating panel at the high school, because the seniors had, this, had one class a year where they could ask older, more experienced people um, about falling in love and dating, and um, I guess it was because of my high school prowess uh, that they asked me. It was kind of weird, but no, that was not it. The reason was I was one of a few married, older, English-speaking males at the church, or at the school. There were like two of us, I think, at the time. So, um, so it did make sense. 
And each time we did it, there would be a question to the effect of, how do you know you're in love? What's it like to fall in love? Some version of that. And my answer to them would never be designed to make them fall in love with my wife, right? I don't want them to have my exact experience. But I'll tell them all the, all the stories, all the markers of what it was like for us to fall in love so that they might know what to look for in their own unique love story that's yet to be written, right? Um, and that's the heart of what I hope for for you today, that listening to some of these stories doesn't make you think that these things are for others or for you through others, but that they're for you directly with God. Because I can share what God has done for me, but the hope would be that you'd more readily perceive what he's doing for you. And I can share the story of how God pursued me in his love so that you can know how ravenously and tenderly and graciously God's pursuing you. Because you're the beloved object of desire of the creator of the universe. Um, and he has a unique love story he wants to continue to share with you if you let him. So the third story is about our most recent um, trip to the clinic in Honduras. Um, it was this past February, it was awesome. Again, it was warm. And we saw 993 patients in the field between doctors and dentists. In addition to some of the surgery, um, surgeries that are done, there's teams that go out into the field that see uh, dental patients and general checkups with doctors. So they saw 993 people. And the surgeons at the surgery center did 67 procedures. And that was with 38 gringos that made the trip down there. Um, and lots and lots of Hondurans doing prep work. And working alongside of us, too. Um, we had Honduran dentists and surgeons. And that's one of the coolest parts of the clinic for me is we're working alongside them. Um, and the, the spiritual growth of the team, <clears throat> of those 38 gringos that went with us, you could feel it. It was like heaven coming to earth in a way, in as real of a way as I've ever experienced before. And one day as I'm riding on the bus from the field back to town, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm talking to one of the guys who has been going there for almost 30 years uh, since the beginning. Um, as Brent mentioned, it was founded by the Luke Society, which is a, a CRC ministry. They've got 40 plus clinics around the world. Um, this clinic was set up with their assistance 30 years ago. It has now become its own nonprofit as of a few years ago um, that, we're, that we're working with. But there's been um, a group of people, including the lady in the video and this guy that I'm talking to on the bus that have been doing this stuff for 30 years. And he just, he said something like, um, I love these weeks because it's not about me. It's about the people we serve, it's about the Honduran people. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. But in another way, isn't it very much about you? Isn't it because the 38 people that I'm seeing are kind of discovering who they are? I, that's what my experience was. Like, yes, it's absolutely about serving the Honduran people, but isn't it about 
finding who you were created to be in serving those people. Because, um, you know, he meant these trips aren't about our false little selves and the, and the kingdoms we build around them. But I think as we participate in God's creation, or the reconciliation of God's creation unto himself, we're letting ourselves be reconciled unto him. And it does make it about us in the deepest, truest way possible. Because I saw 38 people set their false selves aside for a week and allow God to do the illuminating of their true selves. And through it, they're discovering more deeply who they're created to be while serving the Honduran people. Um, So it is absolutely about the people we serve and not about our false little selves. Um, It's a it's like a crash course those weeks in self-discovery and self-exploration and self-actualization. Um, I kind of sense moving from uh, the question of how have I been living to how was I created to live. And you can discover truths in, in situations like that because I found that with uh, people as stubborn and as, as dense as myself, Uh, It's helpful for God to get me out of my normal situation so that I'm not distracted by just normal life. So I'm in a dramatically different place and space and state of mind so that he can get my attention. So those stories have helped shape my understanding of mission. And I believe there's great urgency in mission work in general in the world. But true mission work is not marked by the anxiousness to accomplish that our culture is so used to. Because I've often thought, man, what if I would have just given everything over to Christ sooner? You know, couldn't I have been, couldn't I have been in Honduras for five years or 10 years? Um, but that's not how it works. And it doesn't matter, really. Because God's eternal. So he is outside of time. He's not restricted by time. His work transcends time. Which is next to impossible for us to understand. Uh, And while I believe it is definitely very important to proclaim the gospel where it is not known as soon as possible, I think the shift in thinking about missions I've seen that has borne the most fruit is the one that moves from simply telling people that God exists to showing them that God loves them. It's It means entering into relationship. That's why Jesus came to earth on mission to demonstrate his love for us so that we can experience his love and accept it willingly. And sharing in that mission today is just as relevant as it was 2,000 years ago because it's a living love story that exists for each of us today to accept and to trust and to share. Um, So I know the the work of the clinic well and, um, you know, I can direct you to our website to find out more info, but if you really want to find out more, come talk to me. Talk to Stephanie, talk to Brent. Um, and uh, there's just there's a million ways to get involved in Honduras, around the world, here. Um, in our town alone, in Gracias, I know of there's the clinic, there's the school, there's a ministry that works with deaf kids, there's a ministry that works with disabled kids, there's a ministry that does physical therapy, there's a more traditional uh, missions organization that partners churches here with churches down there. There's, there's no end to the ways to get involved in Honduras. Just like there's no end to the ways to get involved in any other country or to get involved around here. 
It just so happens that God chose to use Honduras to get to me. Um, and you guys know all sorts of missions that we already support here at Hardawike, like Mika's Lunch in the DR, like the Kampans in Honduras, like the Kerrigs in Ireland, and the Yoders in Nigeria, and the Blumendals who are back from Jamaica, and then Neighbors Plus here locally. Um, there's so many different love stories going on. So if you're wondering where your story begins, I would tell you that you're already in it. Whatever future you have is a continuation of the great love story that God started writing for you a long time ago, as he started pursuing you a long time ago, before you existed. So rather than telling you to take the first step, I would just tell you to take the next step, whatever that might mean for you. Um, for me, a big step that I res resisted for a long time was joining the prayer team at Harderwijk. I probably knew for like two years before that God was prompting me to do that, and I resisted. Um, but then finally I gave in, and it was great. And it lasted for a season, and it led to other great things. Um, so my point is you might already know what that next step is for you. And that thing, you know, it's deep down. You don't want to acknowledge it because then you're going to have to do it. Uh, maybe you've been resisting. So whatever that next step is, take it. You've probably heard God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called, and that is very true. Things really changed for me the day I made a specific mental switch. I, I went from whining to God, God, what do you want me to do? I think you can just sit and wallow in that. God's not talking to me. What, he's not answering me, so I don't have to do anything. It's, it's, on, it's God's fault. But no, instead of asking God what he wants you to do, tell him that whatever he calls you to, you will do it. And then be ready, because if you say that, you're going you're gonna to start hearing stuff. Maybe not right away, but you will hear. So if you find yourself being resistant to something in particular, please just take that next step. Stop resisting what is known. And if you don't know what the next step is, don't blame God. It just isn't time yet. Remain faithful and at the ready, start trusting what is unknown. And this is where you're going to encounter God's love story for you. We can't overcome these uh, obstacles by ourselves. We have to surrender our resistance. We have to surrender our need for control. In doing so, God teaches us to rely on him more to recognize our dependence on him so that we can live into the most meaningful thing in life, the definition of true life, the very reason we're created for him, which is relationship with him, so that we can be loved by him and offer that love back in whatever form that looks like for each one of us as you live into your love story. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the time today to be with each other and to be with you. Um, we just pray that you would develop in our hearts a knowledge of the story that you've written for each of us. Give us the urgency and the excitement and the desire to follow after you as you've been pursuing us since before time began. Thank you, God, for creating life this way and help us to recognize and realize and respond to uh, our need, our dependence on you. Thank you, God, for this time. Let us, whatever spirit that um, has 
visited us today. Let it go with us from this place the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Ruth. These are all exciting testimonies, and we as a church and as a community are very grateful. Grateful for the ways that your ministries touch and will continue to touch the lives of others. And we're also very grateful for the ways that the ministry of all the people in this community are touching the lives of others, whether we know about it or not. So thank you. Thank you for your support, um, your financial support, your support to the Mission Fund, and all those things that make much of this possible. One of the things we have a privilege of doing as a community is celebrating the Lord's table. And when we celebrate the Lord's table, we celebrate it as a community, but we celebrate it also in collaboration with the communities across campus and with Christians throughout the world. It unites us and it binds us together. The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven. That through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once and for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with the true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. So we gather together now to worship around the Lord's table. Paul, we can be reminded, Paul, I'm sorry, on the night he's betrayed, received from the Lord these words. And he passes on, um, he passes these words on to you. For Jesus, on the night the Lord was betrayed, said, I'm sorry, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And when he given thanks and said, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured or shed for the remission of sins. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats it or drinks it, a cup of the Lord is unworthy or inappropriate manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat and drink the cup. But Jesus said also, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You see, I and you are not your own. We are not free to come to the Lord's table on our terms. Jesus invites us. This is his table. Come, trusting in Jesus. His death is my substitute. And his resurrection, his resurrection is a gift to life to me. To not come trusting in oneself. Sometimes trusting in oneself looks like resolving to do better. To do better in my own strength rather than receive his gift. Sometimes holding back because of my failure rather than trusting in his resurrection. Think about this reflection just briefly using the prayers from Alcoholics Anonymous and I will give their example and then I will paraphrase. 
The first step in Alcoholics Anonymous is to admit we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. The first step in coming to the table is simply this. We are powerless over sin, that our lives are unmanageable because of sin. And then they pray. I admit that I am powerless over my addiction. I admit that my life is unmanageable when I try to control it, which is the true meaning of powerlessness. Remove from me all the denial of my addiction. As Christians, we admit that we are powerless over sin except through Christ and the work of the Spirit that transforms us. We admit that apart from the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit, our lives are unmanageable. And so we submit. We submit to Christ's death and his resurrection, saying, I am not my own, I am yours. I cannot save myself. And we confess that apart from Christ and apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives, that we cannot manage and control sins in our lives. And so we declare our dependence on Christ. When we partake at the table, we declare our dependence on Christ. And so I invite those who are serving to come forward at this time. And we will take communion by intinction, which is taking a piece of bread and then dipping it in the cup and then partaking. And there will be someone in the back with a cup and the plate for those who are not able um, to get up and need assistance. Or if you'd like to stay in your seat and take it, you may. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, now all things are ready.
God has met us as we've partaken of the table. We have heard the testimony of his people. We have heard how the scripture has worked through the lives of so many people. And those are the stories that we know, and there are many that we don't. So let us as a community now joyfully stand and sing together, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. As we go from this place, may God go before us to lead us. May God go beside us to befriend us. May God go beneath us to support us. And may God go behind us to protect us. We go forth in the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.